Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is the For the Love of Film podcast. Um, talk, going to talk about six movies this week. Two that I saw in the theater, which I know is crazy as of late. Um, but two I saw in the theater. One that was a Netflix original. Um, one that I, or two that I revisited uh, that I had seen before um, on home video. Uh, one of them an animated film and then one of them, another in the river Phoenix filmography. And then, uh, a movie that it was, I don't know. I have the, I have a list about half a mile long of stuff that I should have seen or whenever someone brings it up, makes a reference to a movie and then they find out I haven't seen it. They're like, dude, you haven't seen that. So I crossed it off another one of those off my list. And so far with that list, there hasn't been any that I missed that uh, when I watched it, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I've missed that. Um, and I don't know. I think part of the nature of so much film, particularly in the last 25, 30 years, is that, you know, it's always building off of each other. And, um, you know, so if I've seen stuff that's been influenced by a film but haven't seen it, when I finally get around to seeing the other thing, I recognize in my brain that it is... Uh, an influential piece, but I also, because I've been moved by something that came after it, uh, that's, you know, a couple steps ahead of it. Oftentimes it just doesn't have the impact that it would have, if I had seen it when it originally came out, uh, biggest case in point, uh, to illustrate this was, uh, uh, I had not seen animal house, uh, you know, the comedy animal house, uh, for years and years and years, you know, I'd seen a lot of comedies that have come since then. And, Um, it was probably within the last five years that I watched Animal House and I recognized that it was a, uh, pillar in American comedic cinema, but I didn't actually enjoy it that much. I barely laughed at it. And it was the whole thing that, I mean, I think of all genres of films, probably comedies and maybe horror are influenced the most by what came before them. Science fiction to a lesser degree, but still, um, and I'd seen so many comedies that were grosser, funnier, raunchier than Animal House since it came out that this, it felt quaint, but, uh, yeah. So the movies that I'm going to talk about, uh, this week are Gloria Bell, Pet Cemetery, the 2019 version of Pet Cemetery, uh, Unicorn Store, Perfect Blue, American Psycho, and Running on Empty. Um, uh, so first off, I, I didn't even realize until I was putting this episode together in my head that the two movies I saw, saw theatrically were both remakes. Uh, there had already been a, a film based on the source material. Uh, Gloria Bell is, uh, written and directed by Sebastian, uh, Lelio, uh, um, which is in turn based on his 2013 film Gloria, which is a Spanish language film. And, uh, it's a, it's a remake. And then, you know, I, I saw Pet Cemetery, the 2019 film, but, uh, Gloria Bell, uh, I had not seen Gloria. I still have not seen Gloria. I, I wanted to do them in the same episode, but I could not find Gloria, the original film on any of the streaming platforms. And, uh, you know, there aren't really video stores anymore. And, uh, you know, it, I checked Redbox maybe a week ago. I mean, I wasn't expecting to find it. It's, you know, it's a foreign language independent film. 
Um, but I figured when I was looking there, I would just check, but it was not there. So I have not seen Gloria Bell. My buddy Bob Scammon, who, you know, if if you listen to this show, he does the Burgers with Bob's episodes with me, was saying that it was a much better film. But I went into this knowing very little about it. I mean, I knew it was a, a remake of another film, but um, so is Julianne Moore in the, as Gloria Bell and then John Turturro and... Um, uh, I mean, some other actresses that I like as well. Michael Sarah, uh, Brad Garrett, uh, Rita Wilson, Sean Astin, uh, Gene Triplehorn, a few others. But uh, I think going into this, it really depends on how much you like Julianne Moore will depend on how much you enjoy this film. Uh, and I, I'm a really big Julianne Moore fan. I've been a fan of her since I saw her in Robert Altman's Shortcuts you know, going on probably 25 years now. And um, she's always taken risks as an actress. Well, not always, but she often takes risks. I mean, some people would argue that her taking over the role of Clary Starling from Jodie Foster was not necessarily a risk, but um, she's done a lot of interesting stuff. And this is basically a character study of her. So if you like Julianne Moore, you'll probably appreciate this. I also... I appreciate the fact that it was a, it's a study of a single woman in her fifties and exploring her relationship options or sexuality and, uh, her, her independent spirit. And, uh, so I really enjoyed that. And, uh, it was interesting to see John Turturro play kind of a putz. He hasn't done that in a while. He plays a lot of heavies and villains and, um, as of late, but you know, his start in independent cinema, he played a lot of putzes and uh, it was nice to see him return to form in that. Uh, I liked it. I know Bob did not enjoy it that much. I, I mean, I didn't think it was an amazing film, but like I said, I really liked Julianne Moore. Uh, and uh, I know Bob really didn't like, or from my understanding, we haven't seen each other since he's seen it, but we've texted about it. And I, my understanding was he did, he found her, performance annoying but i actually found her performance quite good i mean i think she's a great actress and she's good and even stuff that's not great but i thought she was really good in this uh so i mean i don't think gloria bell's playing theatrically anywhere now but i'm sure it's going to be streaming and on demand soon but uh i enjoyed it i would give gloria bell probably a seven out of ten you know certainly not for everyone but uh uh if you're a Julianne Moore fan, definitely go check it out. And, you know, um, it's nice to see more, fi- like, meaty film roles for women over the age of 30 uh, in cinema. So, yeah. Um, the next one that I saw was Pet Cemetery, uh, which is the, uh, it's the second film adaptation of Stephen King's 1983 novel. And... Uh, you know, 1989 was when the first one came out. I had seen the first one. I barely remembered it, but, you know, the most memorable thing was Fred Gwynn was in it. And, uh, you know, the, in this film, uh, John Lithgow plays the role that Fred Gwynn played in the, in the first film. But, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting cause I've been com- commuting to, to work a lot. I listen to, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of music, but I also listen to books on tape or, or books on uh, 
megabyte as it was. Uh, you know, I listened to digital versions of books, and I've been listening to Pet Cemetery sporadically for the past three or four months. Michael C. Hall is reading it, um, probably most well-known from the TV show Dexter and before that uh, Six Feet Under. But uh, And I had been enjoying that, so... Um, it was been interesting juxtaposing that with this film. Uh, I will say right out of the gate, I did not like this version of Pet Cemetery. Um, uh, you know, I went in not expecting to like it much, primarily because the protagonist uh, is played by Jason Clark, who is an actor who just, uh, as soon as I see his name, I'm just like, nope, not interested. Uh, he's... Uh, I don't understand how he gets so much work because I think he's thoroughly mediocre. I don't enjoy him at all. And I also don't find him relatable at all. And I don't know, quite frankly, I think he's weird looking. He's just got a weird head. Um, yeah, I mean, he's basically the John C. Re- he, he's like John C. Riley if John C. Riley had no talent. I know Greg will argue that John C. Riley has no talent, but I actually really like John C. Riley. But anyway, so it had Jason uh, Jason Clark in it, which automatically had me not liking it. Um, but then, you know, going into it, um, the first twenty minutes or so, I thought was great, and I was like, "Oh, okay, they're doing a pretty good job with this." And then it just became horror movie cliche over after horror movie cliche, and. Um, I'm not one of those people that's super precious about, oh, the book was better than the movie, so on and so forth. But they changed so much about the book in in this movie um, that it, it really should be more of a inspired by the book rather than based on. Um, I've explained to a couple people who've asked me what I thought of this film about uh, – what I think is great about so many of Stephen King's books or one of his strengths is he's really good at building very well-rounded three-dimensional human characters. And you really get invested in the lives of these characters. And so when stuff does go awry, as it usually does in a Stephen King novel, you really feel for these characters and we're invested in them. They're people we care about. So when bad stuff happens to them, we care about that. A big part of the Book Pet Cemetery is uh, be- be- between uh, you know the Lewis Creed uh, played by Jason Clark uh, and Judd Crandall uh, played by John Lithgow in this. Uh, you know, there's a generational gap between the two of them, but they have a a strong friendship as neighbors, and that friendship is not. It, not only is it not developed, it really doesn't even exist in this film. Uh, Judd Crandall happens upon Ellie Creed in the woods, and then uh, Rachel Creed, uh, the wife, happens to come across them, and then they, it's sort of like happenstance. The other part is, uh, in in the book, Judd's wife is alive at the beginning of uh, the book, and, you know, for at least a couple hundred pages, and... The, the the Creeds and the Randalls or the Crandalls have have a relationship together so that when things start to go awry, you see that there's there, there's real uh, stuff at stake uh, between them, and none of that's in this book. Uh, there's also 
It's a lot of jump scares, and there's mention of the Wendigo uh, myth, but then nothing is done with it, and that you know certainly plays a part in the book. Um, the other big thing is the the big change, which it's weird, and you know I'm sorry if this is a spoiler, but uh, it, it's it's a huge plot point in in the book. It's the four year old, or I'm sorry, the the two year old son Gage who dies, and in this it's the six year old Ellie, but she's nine in the movie. They've aged her up. Um, so it's, it's, it's totally different with that as well. And then the circumstances around, you know, how the pet cemetery is used to resurrect the dead, uh, is completely changed as well. So it, I really didn't like this. It wasn't that scary. Um, and I don't know for a movie that's, you know, uh, it's yeah. 101 minutes, but it felt like well over two hours. So it was meandering and I don't know, just the end of it was ridiculous as well. I, I don't recommend pet cemetery at all. I'd give it a five out of 10. Uh, the next movie that I saw was a Netflix original film. It is, uh, it's called unicorn store. Uh, it was, uh, Brie Larson's directorial debut. Uh, she, uh, uh, no, I guess she didn't produce it, but uh, it also stars Samuel L. Jackson and uh, and then Joan Cusack, Bradley Whitford, and several other actors as well. But uh, it was interesting to see, you know, because I had just seen Brie Larson and Samuel Ax- Samuel L. Jackson together in Captain Marvel last month, and so I wonder if that's I- I'm assuming that's how this film came about their relationship with that. Um, this is a really really precious movie. And I don't mean that in a necessarily positive way. It's just, I don't know who this movie is for. Um, the story is about this woman, Kit, who Brie Larson plays, who's in her late twenties, early thirties and, um, moves back in with her parents and then gets a job at a corporate office. But, is secretly building a stable for a unicorn that she's going to get. And it's really kind of, it's a, it's a sort of coming of age story, but it's also sort of a love story, but it's also sort of an allegory. Um, it's a mess. And just her character kit is so ridiculously, I don't know. She's an, artist but not a particularly good one she just kind of puts glitter and paint on everything and you know she gets rejected by art school and she has well-meaning but kind of overbearing parents in Joan Whitford and and or uh, Joan Cusack and Bradley Whitford and uh, it's just it I mean not much happens in this movie um after the characters are kind of laid out you can kind of figure what's going what's going to happen and um yeah it this again it it was a relatively short movie i think it was like 90 minutes yeah 92 minutes it's it was a chore to get through this i had to watch it in about six different sittings of about 15 minutes each and it was just Oh, it was a chore to get through. And I really like Brie Larson. I think she's talented and she's very charismatic. And, you know, I like Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson wasn't in it enough. He's 
he's probably in it about 20 minutes of the movie peppered throughout. And then Joan Cusack and Bradley Whitford uh, were great. And it was kind of funny to see Bradley Whitford play like the polar opposite character from what, from the character he played in get out in 2017. But, um, you know, I don't know who it's for. It was, you know, I'm, I'm glad Brie Larson wants to spread out and do some directing. And I certainly think she has talent and should do it again. But, uh, you know, hopefully she has some better material next time. Uh, unicorn star, I'd give a five out of 10, uh, really, really tough to recommend it. Yeah. I mean, the pleasant actors in it, but really tough to, to really like much about it. Um, the next movie is an animated Japanese film called perfect blue, uh, came out in 1997. And, you know, this was a movie in the late nineties, early two thousands. I absorbed a lot of anime animated films, not animated series. Um, cause that's a whole nother rabbit hole that, uh, I just don't have the time or energy right now to, to fall down. But, um, this is a movie I remembered, you know, it was a, like a psychological horror film. I, I didn't remember the horror element being such a, such to the forefront. I mean, it's definitely psychological horror, but, um, the whole time I was watching this, this time I was like, this would actually be more intriguing as a live action film. Uh, the fact that it was animated kind of pulled me out a little bit, but it's basically about, um, uh, this character Mima, who was a part of a pop group and decides to strike out and become a, a serious actor. And, you know, she's an actor, actress on a, it seems like maybe a soap opera. It's a Japanese serial, not breakfast cereal, but like S E R I A L a Japanese serial show. And, uh, but it's certainly more mature and, you know, she, she has a, you know, uh, a, a rape scene that she acts in where she, you know, she, her character gets raped and then she poses nude for a magazine and it, people helping her along in her career or guiding her career keep getting murdered. And, you know, it's a psychological thing and you don't know if she's the one who's doing it or, um, you know, she's got multiple personalities and, you know, I remember at the time thinking the animation was cutting edge and, you know, it's hand-drawn animation and it's, it just got released on Blu-ray for the first time. And, you know, I got kind of excited about it cause I remembered really liking this movie. I had it on, on uh, VHS way back in the day. And I was like, Oh yeah, I love that movie. I want to watch it again. And it had probably been 15 years since I had seen it. And, certainly didn't uh, didn't hold my interest as as much as when I had seen it originally you know i I thought it was well made but um I don't know I think a lot of it's just my interests and the things that I like in movies has changed a lot in the last couple of decades and it's certainly pretty dark without a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of lightness to it a whole lot of redeeming stuff um one of the things that I thought was interesting and I, and I vaguely remember reading about it, but, um, at the time, but, um, so Darren Aronofsky, the claimed writer director had lifted one scene from it. Um, and basically superimposed that used, used the camera 
angles and shots for a scene in his film Requiem for a Dream. Uh, specifically, it's uh, when Mima is in a bathtub and then sh- sh- her she's lying face down, you know, her face is underwater and she screams and uh, he, he uses that with Jennifer Connelly's character in Requiem for a Dream. I'm going to, along with this uh, on social media, I'm going to post pictures of the, the side-by-side comparison of the animated shots and the shots from Requiem for a Dream, which I thought was interesting. Um, and I guess Darren Aronofsky completely acknowledged that it was a huge influence and that he did lift it from it. But, um, yeah, this is, this is a dark movie. Uh, wasn't, uh, you know, I don't think I need to watch it again. Um, I mean, so much fun. I, I bought the Blu-ray when it came out, having not seen it in, a, in like I said, 15 years, and I ended up selling it uh, back to the place that uh, I bought it from uh, after I watched it. Uh, I was like, yeah, I don't need this in my collection at this point. I can't think of a time where I'm going to want to watch it again. And I'm sure if... 15 years from now, I want to watch it again. I can pull it up on a streaming service or however we're ingesting movies at that point. So yeah, perfect blue. I, I execution wise, uh, you know, it's like a seven, uh, animation looks a little dated now, but, um, but as far as like enjoying it as a film, I I'd give it probably a six. Uh, next one was American psycho. And this is one of those ones that falls under the category of movies that people are surprised that I had never seen. And, um, and most of the movies on that list that when people are surprised I've never seen, it's not for a specific reason. They just kind of fall through the cracks. This is actually one that I had kind of avoided. Um, I'm not a fan of Brett Easton Ellis, the man who wrote the novel, which it's based off of. I mean, I remember when this movie came out in 1991, there was a lot of uh, controversy around it about it being misogynistic, incredibly violent, which it which it is. But it's also you know it's it's a black comedy slash parody. Um, but um, you know, it, it, with it being nearly twenty years old now, it it looks incredibly dated. Uh, you know, and it takes place in the nineteen eighties. Anyways, it's not specifically stated that, but based on the music and. Uh, the clothing that people wear um, that's, that's when it is taking place. And, you know, the, uh, the character that Christian Bale plays um, is a Patrick, Patrick Bateman, I guess pops up in some of Brett Easton Ellison's other work as well, but it's just my biggest issue with it is, and sorry, if this is a spoiler, but this movie came out 19 years ago. So, um, you know, at the end of it, after after Patrick Bateman goes through and is committing these horrific homicides, killing people, dismembering people, um, it's basically, oh, it was all in his mind. And that was, I remember in junior high school, uh, being in a couple creative writing classes, and, you know, oftentimes when we would have to read them in front of class, people would go through this story that, you know, that they had written, which would be increasingly more unpredictable and bizarre. And then it would always end with, and then I woke up and it was all a dream. And it always, it was always such a cop out in my opinion. And I feel that way with any creative writing. Like you, I'm along for the ride. If you're going to explain it, if you've got a reason why something happened, but if you're just copping out at the end and being like, Oh, it was all a dream. I'm just like, no, you're a lazy writer. And that's kind of how, 
I feel with this story. And also, I just don't care about any of the characters. I mean, I know that they're supposed to be despicable Wall Street types and two-dimensional women that are in their lives, but it's just kind of like, ugh, the whole time. Um, Hugely talented cast, like I said, Christian Bale, also Willem Dafoe, Josh Lucas, Jared Leto, Chloe Savini, uh, Samantha Mathis, Justin Theroux, Guinevere Turner, who also... Uh, co-wrote the screenplay with the director, Mary Harmon and uh, Reese Witherspoon. But I don't know. I know so many people think this movie's awesome and, and it's just, it just seems like a dated movie, you know, from 20 years ago to me. And it's not particularly shocking. It's more just boring to me. And as much as I think Christian Bale is an amazing actor and, you know, he threw himself into this role as well. It's not one of the, his roles that I'd want to return to. Uh, I just, I, I just, at the end of the day, I don't care. Give American Psycho a 5 out of 10. And then, uh, lastly, I watched another River Phoenix film. Uh, This one, the 1988 film, Running on Empty. And uh, directed by Sidney Sidney Lumet. Um, And it's uh, River Phoenix is the older of two sons uh, to Judd Hirsch and uh, Christine Lottie, who, who, uh, you know, they're fugitives on the run in America, you know, Every nine months to 18 months, they move to a different place and assume new identities because they're hiding from the FBI because the parents were involved in a bombing of, I believe it was a nuclear power plant, where a security guard was blinded by it. And so they're fugitives from justice. And River Phoenix plays their son, their high school son, who's a gifted musician and wants to settle down roots and sort of the ebb and flow of that Um now the, I don't know, a lot of the relations for that, uh, <laughs> I had always associated this movie with Little Nikita, which I had reviewed several episodes ago, and because uh, it was another thing where the parents were criminals hiding mm, in that when they were Russian spies, where this, they're not, but, um, you know, the, the, the son role was <clears throat> similar um, this, uh, this was the second film that, uh, River Phoenix and Martha Plimpton had acted together as, uh, lo- I guess, love interest. This is a couple years after the Mosquito Coast. Uh, really solid performance from River Phoenix. Actually, it's solid performance from, uh, Martha Plimpton as well. And, uh, Christine Lottie was, uh, who was nominated for a bunch of awards when this came out. Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, she got a lot of, accolades for her performance as well really solid drama uh, interesting the way the ratings in movies go because this movie's rated uh pg-13 and there was quite a lot of profanity in this movie a lot of the f word was used um way more than you know the one that is the standard for what's allowed today but uh yeah um still a solid drama um you know, I'd give it a, I'd give Running on Empty a 7 out of 10. Certainly worth a watch. Um, definitely one of the higher caliber of River Phoenix's performances. Um, yeah. So those are the movies that I've watched in the last couple weeks. I appreciate you listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.